You know, people everywhere love listening to and telling stories. Whether we're reading a book or listening to a podcast like Serial or S-Town or This American Life, uh, seeing a movie like the latest Tom Cruise, Star Wars, or, or Marvel's offering, uh, binge-watching Breaking Bad on Netflix, or basking in the narrative shenanigans of a Dick Wells or a Kenny Seeley as they spin one of their many yarns. We pay attention when people start telling stories. I, as a matter of fact, I can tell this in my messages when I'm just kind of talking abstractly or whatever, people kind of eyes glaze over, but then I'll say, let me tell you about, and people kind of suddenly perk up. We all love stories. Now, Jesus, as we all know, was one of the greatest storytellers of all times. He was so good at telling stories that people who have never picked up a Bible know what you were talking about if you mention a lost sheep or a good Samaritan or a prodigal son. And all of those can be traced back to Jesus' storytelling. He was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, storyteller ever. But truth be told, some of Jesus' stories can be confusing. They can be puzzling. They can be challenging. In fact, they can be downright annoying. And I think a pretty good case in point is the text, the story we're looking at today, Jesus' parable about the worker in the vineyard. Let's take a listen as Gene tells us about how he felt the very first time he heard this story. So I vividly remember the first time I heard this parable at Stonebridge. It was back in the early 90s, and I was still a seeker at the time, and I was attending service before I was heading off to work. Being in business my entire life, I thought the whole concept was just ridiculous, and it made absolutely no sense whatsoever. I was thinking, what kind of business model is this? You paid everyone the same regardless of how much hours they worked or what their experience was? We'd be bankrupt in no time. I'm sure Pastor Jeff went on to explain the meaning behind the text, but I just tuned out at that point. I remember sharing this with Jackie, and she just smiled and said, Someday you'll understand. I was hoping for affirmation for my theory, not this vague response. So it's not just that it's not a great business plan, as Jean said. Matthew Skinner uh, says, Maybe no other words of Jesus causes much offense to our ethical calculations. It doesn't make any sense as a business plan, and it, it also strikes a lot of us, maybe most of us, maybe all of us, as being unfair. This is a text, it really is a text that touches a lot of people, um, but not always in a particularly good way, at least not at first. I mean, when you hear it, it rattles us, it puzzles us, and I think that it's meant to, that's the point. It's meant to challenge us. So what, what in the world is Jesus doing? What is he saying in this story? Well, let me begin by saying this. The key to unlocking this story is to keep in mind that it is a parable. It's a parable. It is not a business plan. 
Jesus isn't saying, here, just do this and you will succeed in life. It's not. It's a parable. Now, what is a parable? A parable is a story that compares or contrasts something that we are familiar with, with how things operate under God's rule. We're familiar with work and getting paid for work. And Jesus says, okay, here's something you're familiar with. Now, what I want to do is tell you a story to show you the way things work in the kingdom of heaven. And it may not be the same way that we're accustomed to thinking. It could be quite different. And that's, this is his point. And we, and we can tell that from the very first verse where Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven is like... He doesn't say the business plan you ought to follow. He says the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a landowner who went out early to, in the morning to hire workers for the vineyard. Now, let me just give you a little bit of background for, uh, for this. Um, employment in the ancient uh, Near East in Palestine during the first century when Jesus' ministry was taking place. But when people uh, were doing, had work and stuff, you guys have jobs for the most part. I mean, if you're employed, you will have a job. You know what it, it, it was like in the ancient world? It was like the Tipsy Fox in Moore Park. Anybody know that place? Where you have Tipsy Fox in Moore Park is like this convenience store, and every morning there are folks, there are day laborers that stand out there looking for work. They don't have regular employment. They can't find regular employment. And so they're really totally dependent on people showing up and saying, hey, I have this job to, you, to do. Are you able to do this? And, uh, you know, having some sort of agreement. That's what it was like for most people. They didn't have jobs like we have jobs. Now, when Jesus tells this, so, so a landowner would show up at the marketplace, which is kind of the, you know, the Greek word agora, uh, it's where, you know, people would wait to be hired. Now, as Jesus tells this story, he is drawing on some images that his listeners would have understood immediately, wouldn't have to be explained to them. The vineyard. Whenever people heard somebody, a religious teacher, talking about a vineyard, they know this is a stock symbol. This is a stock symbol for Israel. By extension, this is a stock symbol for the people of God. The landowner, this is a stock symbol for the Lord. Everybody would have gotten that. Jesus is setting up the story to say this, this is what life in the kingdom of God, life under the rule of God looks like. And then he starts to tell the story about the landowner, God, and his vineyard. The landowner hires some people first thing in the morning, 6 o'clock, and agrees to pay them a full day's wages for their work. That would be a denarius. Um, scholars have figured out that a, a person would need, in order to just be at a survival level in the ancient world at this period of time, you'd have to make about 200 denarius a year. When you subtract the Sabbaths and the festival days and any sick days or whatever, what it meant is you pretty much needed to work every day that was available to get that denarius or you couldn't survive. So these people who are hired to do a full day's work and get a full day's pay for it are really fortunate. Not everybody was hired. They have work to do. And they have the promise of 
a paycheck, a fair paycheck, a paycheck that they've actually negotiated at the end of the day. I, you may not have caught it, but it says that the landowner agreed to pay them a full day. It was actually something they negotiated, was their suggestion. Now, the landowner, after hiring them, they worked for three hours, and the landowner goes back to the marketplace, and he hires, at 9 o'clock, hires some more workers. And this time, he promises to pay them whatever is right. And they kind of take that on faith. Okay, he's going to do what's right. The landowner then returns at noon, and he comes back later at 3 o'clock, and he finally comes back at 5 o'clock. The, the workday ends at 6. He comes back at 5 o'clock to hire even more workers. One of the questions you need to ask, and we'll look at this later, is why does he keep going back? Why is he hiring more people? At day's end, Jesus says he pays the workers, and he does it in reverse order. And that's really interesting because it's not the way usually you would do things, pay the folks who were hired last. You know, it's, it's usually first in, first out. This is first in, last out. He pays the workers in reverse order of their being hired. Those who work for just an hour, to their surprise, are given a denarius, a full day's pay. How would you have felt? <laughs> awesome, right? So, as, uh, after I'd written this message, I was uh, uh, flipping through my iPhone. I've got this one app that's called Flipbook, and it kind of uh, curates articles and things that I'm interested in. And one of the articles I came across yesterday uh, was an article about Billy Joel. Billy Joel has played at Madison Square Garden more times than anybody else has. He, almost, he has like a residency there now. And one of the things that happened was after the first few concerts that he had done at Madison Square Garden, Billy Joel started to, uh, to, he just put it in his contract, I don't want anybody sitting in the first two or three rows. Why, you may ask? Why, why don't people sit in the first couple of, of rows? Because before the show starts, he sends people up into the rafters, the nosebleed seats, steerage, up where you guys are pretty much. And he finds the people that could only afford cheap tickets, but were really excited for being there, and they get to sit in the very front row. How do you think they felt? See, this is a story that stuff like this really happens. How do you think they felt getting those front row tickets? The other question is, how do you think the people who paid a thousand bucks to sit in the fourth row felt? Interesting. Now, check it out. As we listen to this story, and this time I'm not talking about Billy Joel, I'm talking let's back to Jesus. As we listen to this story, important point I'm about to make here, depending on the character you choose to identify with, you may miss the point. The point is, first and foremost, Remember, it's a parable about the kingdom of heaven. This is a story about God's goodness. This is a story about God's goodness. How does God, how does the landowner demonstrate his goodness in all kinds of ways? Unexpected ways. 
some expected ways. Number one, he demonstrates his goodness by giving people who needed work something to do. That's awesome. But even more than that, he keeps his promises. He had agreed to the suggestion that those who were hired first, he had agreed to pay those whom he had hired first a full day's wage, and he does. You know, not everybody in the ancient world did this. This is why if you look in the Old Testament, in the the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, particularly Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy, you will find laws given by the Lord that says if you hire somebody, you have to pay them that day. It's important that you pay them that day because they won't survive otherwise. It's your ethical responsibility. It is your responsibility as a person who goes by the name of the Lord to be fair and to not take advantage of of the poor. And so he keeps his promises. He'd also agreed, by the way, it's another promise. It's a vague promise. It's a promise none the same. Those he hired later, he would do whatever is right. Now, the question is this, what's right? What is the right thing to do? Ask yourself, what is the right thing to do in this situation? Well, he chose to give them all a denarius. He gives them all a full day's wage. That would be the, a full day's wage for an agricultural worker, a daily employed agricultural worker or a soldier. Those who were fortunate enough to be hired would have been given one of these coins. By the way, that is a denarius that somebody found with a metal detector in uh, the UK because Roman Empire, of course, extended that far. Those who were fortunate enough to be hired would have a full day's pay exactly enough to provide for the needs of their families that day. So not only does God, the landowner, keep his promises, I will pay you a full day's wage, you guys, I'll do whatever's right with you guys, knowing what his workers and what their families need to survive, he is not just fair, he is more than fair, giving them something. Listen to this. He gives them all something that they may not have earned, they may not have deserved, but they desperately needed. You know what? That's called grace. That's called grace. God keeps his promises. He is generous. He cares for us. He knows our need. The needs especially of the least. God gives us meaningful ways to participate in and and contribute to his kingdom. This is a story, I could go on. This is just a story from first to last. This is a story about the goodness of God, about the grace of God, about the compassion and the love of God. And if you don't get that, you're going to totally miss this story. You're focused on the wrong stuff. So why do people find this parable so annoying? Well, because I think, I think I make a pretty strong case for this. Because this is also a story, not just about God's love, it's a story about the state of our hearts. 
This is a story that as we listen to it, it is as if Jesus is holding a mirror up to our spirits and showing us what's inside. Now, I, I hope you didn't miss it because I really tried to emphasize it, but a moment ago I said, as we listen to this story, depending on the character you choose to identify with, we might miss the point that this is a story about God's goodness. So who do you identify with? Who did you, when the first time you heard this story, who did you identify with in this story? If the story upsets you, if you find it annoying, I think I already know the answer to that question. You identify with, you think of yourself as that person that was hired first thing in the day and that life's unfair, and that God's unfair, and that you deserve something, and that they don't. Uh, I'm not sure you want to do that, because honestly, if you think about it, that group of people does not come across well in this story. Another observation, it is fascinating, isn't it? How often people identify themselves as the victims in this story. What is up with that? Why don't they come off well? I'll tell you one reason. First off, they are calculating. And I mean that both literally and figuratively. They are a calculating group. And by the way, you don't want your relationship with God to be one of, you know, calculating. When the people who, who only had a chance to work an hour at the end of the day get this full day's paycheck so they can provide for their families rather than celebrating the amazing goodness and, and mercy and generosity of the landowner. What are these guys doing? They're crunching the numbers. They're doing the math, and they are thinking solely of themselves. Hey, if they got this, I'm going to get 12 times that much. That's what I'm owed What, what's happening here, rather than focusing on the human element, rather than being happy that their coworkers were actually going to be able to feed their kids that night, they're calculating what they have conjured up was in it for them. So they, they weren't just calculating, they saw themselves as entitled you know, when you read this story, if you get annoyed by it, one of the things that's kind of creepy is it, it, this might be holding a, up a mirror to you and say, have you ever thought that you might think of yourselves as entitled? They believed that the landowner owed them something more. By the way, this is fascinating because this, that's an issue now that's come up three times in this series, and we've only gone five weeks. God owes me. Really? What does God owe you? Seriously. I wouldn't use that word. In, in addition to being calculating and, and having this sense of entitlement that comes, you know, with, uh, with all this other emotional baggage and, and spiritual baggage, pride and all the rest, 
they also are ungrateful. Not sure you want to identify with this group. They're ungrateful. And you might say, what, for what? Well, for the work that they were given to do. And from the promise that was made to them, that was kept, and for the income that it provided for them, for the health that enabled them to do the work in the first place, for the integrity of the landowner who paid them what he had promised, what they had asked for, for the opportunity, amazing opportunity to work for a, a landowner who actually cared for the poor. Calculating, uh, entitled, ungrateful, they, they also show a, a distinct lack of compassion for their coworkers whose kids could have gone hungry had the landowner not been so generous and had not been so kind. You know, one of the things that they, they didn't have uh, any sense of imagination either. They couldn't imagine because they'd been hired first. They couldn't imagine that, you know what? It was only by grace that I was hired first in the first place. I could have been hired last. This is a story about God's goodness, and it is a story that holds a mirror up to our hearts. It, it is a story about the state of our hearts. I think one of the reasons that a lot of us don't like it is because of what we see or maybe don't see. We don't know what we don't know. We don't know why we respond to it this way. I think maybe that's one of the reasons that Jesus told the story, you know, to kind of peel back those layers so we could understand the state of our hearts. This is also a story about caring. It's a story about compassion, caring for people in need. This, this point really came home to me this past week as, as I was reading a piece while I was doing my research. I was reading this piece by this guy named Matthew Skinner uh, called Justice Comes in the Evening. And he pointed out some stuff that I really hadn't thought about before that really made me understand this parable a little bit better. He says, whom should we think the landowner encounters when he's looking for workers late in the day? I mean, think about it. He, he's been going, he was there at 6 and 9 and noon and, and 3, 5 o'clock. Who are those people that are going to be hanging out at 5 o'clock late in the day? What kind of people are the last to find jobs? Think about it. Who are the people that are last to find jobs? The, the ones who are added to the roles only when nobody else is available. One of the things I love about, uh, the, about the, the stories that Jesus tells, the parables of Jesus, is there is not a wasted word. Every word is important. And, and Jesus includes a, a detail in here that really undercuts a lot of our assumptions as we read this passage, because he points out that there is nothing, nothing suggests that these, these people hired late in the day are irresponsible or lazy. Look, look at what Jesus says. The landowner asks them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? And they answer, what? Because no one's hired us. No one's hired us. 
These guys aren't irresponsible or lazy. They're unwanted. They're unwanted. Who spends the whole day waiting to be hired but doesn't find success until the end of the day? In Jesus' time, you know who it would have been? It would have been the weak and the infirm. It would have been people with disabilities, probably the elderly, people with a bad reputation, maybe people who weren't part of our tribe. Skinner says, a God who is just, I'll do whatever is right, I'll do whatever is just. God who is just, according to Jesus, is inclined to show special generosity to the poor and the outcast. It's a folks who no one else wanted to hire. The land, that's how it is in the kingdom of heaven. People on the outside, the world's rejects. They're called too, and you know, and they may be called last, but you know what? They're loved just as much. The question uh, sort of remains: Why? Why does this landowner keep going back? I mean, why didn't he just hire everybody at six o'clock in the morning? Why does he go back at nine and at noon and at three and at five? There are two answers to that question. One is because they needed work, and number two is because there was work that needed to be done. You know, most scholars, as they, they try to unpack what was the, the ancient Near Eastern situation that would, uh, you know, that would really reflect what's taking place in this story. This isn't a crazy story. Stuff like this happened. When would it happen? It would happen during harvest time. Think of a grape harvest. Everything had to be get, gathered in. Imagine a, a grape harvest. Everything had to be g- gathered in in you know, maybe a 24-hour period or something like that. And suppose the Sabbath is about to hit 6 o'clock that evening. And you realize, we don't have all these grapes in. I need more workers. We need, we need more people to help out. There was a harvest. By the way, I want to press the pause button here too because that's another stock symbol. When Jesus talked about a harvest, what was he talking about? It it wasn't about wheat or grapes. It was talking about the harvest of human souls, people that needed God. He says, look, the fields are white with harvest. We need workers. Pray for workers. This is a story about a harvest that, that needed to be gathered in. Let's have a listen as Gene talks about uh, kind of a change in his perspective as he learned a little bit more about this story. So fast forward a few years. And thanks to our great weekend messages and the community of faith, I now accepted Christ and became a member of Stonebridge, but I still had a lot to learn. Matthew 21 through 16 still irked me. I remember one evening while attending our growth group, and the scripture came up again. I was quick to share, as usual, my complete disdain with it, and how it just defied logic. I remember Dorothy Emery, who was usually the quietest member of our group, but if you know Dorothy, when she shared something, it was usually profound. Well, she just smiled, and she asked me, 
Gene, how old were you when you accepted Christ? I said, 33. I said, still really not knowing where she was going with this, but I trusted and respected Dorothy, so I waited. So she said, you know, you're the worker who was hired at noon, and you have the same gift from God through Jesus Christ that I do, even though I was one of the first workers hired. I've been a believer my entire life, and we're equal in God's eyes. Well, let's just say the light bulb went on, and now that scripture has become one of my favorites. It demonstrated to me the level of love and patience that God has for me and reminds me daily to try to convey that same level to others as well. I also witnessed what this meant when I had a chance to smile on myself when my mother came to Christ at Stonebridge and she was one of the five o'clock workers. So if any of you are still on the fence deciding whether you want to become a follower of Christ or think it's just too late, remember Matthew 21 through 16 gotta love God's grace. I'll, I'll tell you a part that really touched me about that is when Jean was talking about his mom. She's pretty elderly at the time, and I remember baptizing her in our front lawn during one of our big tent events. And she passed away just a couple of years after that. Um, but isn't it amazing to think that a, a person could... Um, live all of their lives, really, apart from a meaningful relationship with the Lord, and then uh, in their late years come to Christ and receive all of the benefits and blessings that come from that relationship. It's amazing. Now, it's, it's also interesting to me that um, the way the, the people were hired early in the morning, 6 o'clock workers see themselves, though, uh, like, oh, we've been slaving away and you know, all this kind of stuff under the hot sun. And I, you know, I think that people who truly come to Christ at an early um, uh, time in their lives, they get a lifetime of blessing from that. It's not work and it's not drudgery and it's not slaving. It is blessing to know Christ. It's a ble- whenever we, we meet him, but how much more so for those who, who were called first. This is a story about God's goodness. This is a story about the state of our hearts. This is a story about how much God cares for people in need. And it is a story about the privilege of knowing and serving the Lord whenever uh, we come into that relationship. You know, back to the question, why the multiple day-long hires. Why does this guy keep coming back again and again and get? I'll tell you why. Because there was an urgent, important, time-sensitive, mission-critical opportunity that had to be addressed. There was a harvest that needed to be gathered in. The harvest was ready. The stakes couldn't be higher, and the clock was ticking And that's why those who were hired last were not, and we should never think of them as being charity cases. They were a mission-critical part of the landowner's plan. They had a mission-critical part to play in the work that remained to be done. They were called to serve because they were needed. And they were graciously rewarded because they and their service mattered. 
and your service matters too. You know, people get annoyed when they think about those who were called at the 11th hour as if they're taking advantage of the system, as if they were getting something for nothing, as if they were getting away with something, as if their service were not important. It is. It is. Especially if we consider the clearest example in Scripture itself of someone called at the last hour to become a believer. That person is the thief on the cross, the penitent thief, the one who comes to faith literally in his final hours, but who may have done more in that little slice of time that was left to him than most of us. As Charles Spurgeon notes in one of his messages, Spurgeon, old school London preacher, uh, a pastoral superstar back in the day, wrote some great stuff. And in a message called Early or Late, this is what Spurgeon says, of the penitent thief. It was late, very, very, very late, but not too late for him to serve. Look at what he did, Spurgeon says. First, he confesses Christ. He acknowledges him to be Lord, and he confesses him before others. Second, he Uh, He justifies Christ. He tells the other thief on the cross, "This, this man has done nothing wrong. Third, he worships Christ. He calls him Lord. The same title that, of course, we would use to address God the Father. Fourth, he even began to preach by rebuking his fellow sinner. Fifth, he offers a petition which has become kind of a model prayer for Christians ever since. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Listen to what Spurgeon says about that. I wish I could say of myself what I can say of the thief, that he did everything he could I can't say that of myself. And I'm afraid to say I can't say that of you. I don't know anything the thief could have done on the cross that he didn't do. As soon as he was called, he seems to have worked in the vineyard to the best of his ability. And so let me say to you, if you should be called at the 11th hour for Jesus' sake, out of love for all of the great things which he has done for you, praise him with all your might. When did you come to Christ? Was it when you were a child? If so, thank God. 
Thank God for the trajectory that that put you on. Thank God for godly parents or godly Sunday school teachers or godly pastors or godly relatives who introduced you to Jesus Christ. Was it in your teen years? Thank God for the ability to live your adult years as a follower of Jesus and have God guide your path. Was it late in life? Thank God. Thank God that you're one of the 11th hour workers who, even though you may have come to Christ late, are able to be the recipient of all the benefits and all of the blessings and all of the mercy and all of the grace that comes to anyone who's a follower of Jesus. And if you haven't yet come to Christ, I want to encourage you to do that today. It is late. Very, very, very late. But it is not too late. This is an extraordinary story. It is a story, maybe more than many of Jesus' parables, that tells us about God's goodness and grace. It's a story about the state of our hearts, revealing uh, to us maybe more than we want to know about just how far we are from God and how much we need to be reminded of His grace every day. It's a story about caring for people in need rather than judging them or treating them as others, recognizing that in the end we all stand in need of God's mercy. And it's a story about knowing about the privilege of serving the God who loves us all.